a difference. The blood that Jesus shed for me. Andre Crouch is the one that, that wrote the song that you think about. Reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. But I'm pretty confident that he got his inspiration from an old hymn book. I can't find the tune for it. But when you started looking at the verses, they're very similar. And so I want us to go and sing that old hymn, The Blood. That Jesus shed for
focusing on love God with all your heart. In February, we focused on love the Lord or, or, or love your neighbor as yourself. Then this month is foundations for your salvation. I want to make sure we understand what it really, really means to be saved. You can be seated for a moment. We'll, we'll get into uh, some scripture here in a moment. These last four weeks here in the Missouri District, so just in case there's a, a guest or someone new today, so Lighthouse is part, we, we belong to the United Pentecostal Church International, which in that sense is a, a denomination, if you will. It's where I hold my minister's license, and United Pentecostal Churches, we, we come together pretty much in state groups, that's called a district, so we have the state of Missouri. And then from there, we, we uh, have the North American church, and then it, it goes to the global church. But uh, here in the Missouri District, United Pentecostal Church, these last four weeks, we've had four regional camp meetings. About five years ago, we had one camp meeting, and, and going into the past, we had one camp meeting. We'd gather in the summer. Uh, we don't have a campground, and so a lot of times it was over there at the Sanctuary Church uh, in Hazelwood, Missouri. And uh, if, if I understand correctly, I think the most we, 
we ever had uh, attending at one time was about uh, just a hair. Everybody can come to St. Louis and be a part of camp meetings. So why don't we break it up and have regional camp meetings? And then they asked if I would coordinate those and kind of make them happen. And I've got a great team behind me. But these last four weeks, we've had these regional camp meetings. It started in February in Springfield. From there, we went to Kansas City. From Kansas City, we came, and many of you were there, to the St. Louis. And then this last Thursday and Friday, we had our one in Poplar Bluff. If you take all of them together, uh, we had a total attendance of 3,745 people that attended those camp meetings. They were powerful. 22 children uh, received the gift of the Holy Ghost. We don't have a perfect count of those who received the Holy Ghost in what we call the adult services, but there were some at every camp. But I want to show you what happened Friday night. So you have to understand, I'm, I'm, I coordinate these services. So you know how you have Mary and Martha, and, and Martha's the one that's working and, and running around like a chicken with her head cut off, and then you got Mary who's just sitting at the feet of Jesus? Well, these last couple of weeks, I've only been Martha. There's not been very many Mary moments in my life. And so I'm sitting there, standing there. I come up, and we have an awesome schedule. Man, I've worked hard on this schedule of service, make sure everything flows, the right speakers are going up, because we're not in necessarily in churches, we're in, last week was in the Black River Coliseum there in Poplar Bluff, so we got it all there, and, and, and Brother Parkey, our district superintendent, got up and he exhorted, and we've been showing a video at every camp, it's a five minute and 40, it's kind of a long video, but it's five minutes and 40 seconds of just baptisms that have happened in the Missouri district kind of cool. Man, people got up behind that. Then Sister Sarah McCabe or Macab uh, came up. She was one of Donovan's, Donovan, Missouri. She was, and, and, and you can go talk to the Donovan police. They'll tell you this. She was one of the biggest meth dealers in Donovan. Well, well that is until she walked into an apostolic church. For the last four or five years, she's no longer a dope dealer. She's a hope dealer, and she's bringing people to church left and right, and she's usually in somewhere in all the pictures where someone's getting the Holy Ghost and someone's getting baptized. And Sister Sarah, she gave the keynote address, and she's a little crazy. There's people running the aisles. There's people dancing. Carlton, uh, Cheryl from, from down there, he, he, got, he, he was doing laps there from Crothersville. Because he was a dope dealer, came to a celebrate recovery, and God filled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost. So she took it off, and then I just ripped up my cool little schedule and just threw it away because nothing was going to happen the way we planned. They then decided they want to take the offering right now, and because there was a spirit of giving, a spirit of faith, they took the offering. But Aaron Batchelor got up, he started leading worship, and I'm telling you, it was like throwing a match into a bar barrel of gasoline. It just went boom. You couldn't get around that altar area. You couldn't get there. I finally had to walk way up to, the, to, to above the bleachers, and I just looked out at over almost 1,300 people. I think we had 1,250 in that service. Just 1,250 people worshiping from the, from the top to the bottom, old, young, ladies, men. They're working. But again, I'm Martha. Got to make sure everybody's in, in tune because they keep changing stuff, and we got to make sure we know where we're going, so I'm just watching. I'm standing off to the side of the platform. It's got a set of stairs going up. I'm standing there just kind of watching, making sure no one needs anything, making sure Brother Parkey, because we have no idea where we're going. We're just flowing. And this, I mean, it doesn't take much to get taller than I am, but this guy that was a lot taller than I am, a lot stronger than I am, kind of runs through the mess of, of, of cables, and he runs up on the platform, and I about have a heart attack. So I'm like, what in the world is going on? And then Brother Parkey puts his arm around him like, okay, this is good. And then Brother Parkey yells at me because you couldn't hear anything. He goes, he says he wants to be baptized right now. Can we make it happen? No. You didn't ask me about that. I got everything else, but I have no baptismal robes. I have no... Uh, 
uh, towels. And by the way, did you realize we're at an arena where they do like rodeos and stuff like that? I mean, where are we going to baptize? So my brain goes, we'll go find a church. But he said, no, I don't have time. I want to do it right now. And then I realized Black River Coliseum has an aquatic center attached to it. So I ran out and I found an employee. And I said, hey, any chance you'll let us use your pool to baptize someone? He smiled real big. He goes, I'm the manager of the pool. Of all the employees, at 9 o'clock at night, I just so happened to run into the one that, that runs the pool. He goes, I don't care. Okay, check that off. Still don't got no robes or towels. So I told the young man, I said, I said, look, I said, we don't got no robes, we don't got no towels. You just got to get in your clothes. He goes, I don't care. I want to be baptized right now. His pastor was with him, Brother Gary Spencer from Mountain View, Missouri, I think. And uh, we put him in that pool. Show me that. Show, show the picture, the first one, Brother uh, Andy. That's him in the blue shirt right there. Now that's after he got baptized. His pastor is right here in the white shirt. Show him how they baptized him. Because again, we were all in our suits. So that's how we baptized. Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. Show that picture of the concrete. It's just, it's just concrete. What you, what you, it may be hard for you to see there, but that's his wet footprints. Because when he got out of it soaking wet, he ran to the altar. That was a long way away. Ran, leaving wet footprints. And he lifted his hands. And God filled them with the gift of the Holy Ghost, dripping wet. But it didn't stop there because by the time we got done, we had over seven that were baptized in Jesus' name. Their pastors were baptizing them left and right. It's children. It was ladies. It was men. And they were getting the Holy Ghost. But there was a spirit that was moving in that place. That's Brother Tim Lee from Cape Girardeau baptizing some of his people from his church. They were baptizing them left and right. They baptized them from Donovan. They baptized them from uh, where, where the Gorleys are, uh, where the Gorleys at? Steel. They were baptizing them in Steel, Missouri. Just a Canton meeting. You know, there's something that happens when someone says, I must needs be baptized now. I remember a time my wife and I were, were, were evangelizing. We had it all. We had the travel trailer. We lived in that 34-foot box for three and a half years or so. Went all over North America preaching. I remember one time, my, my wife, she would always play the piano because that's what you have to do if you're evangelizing. You've got to have a wife that plays the piano. So uh, not only did I marry her because she was beautiful, but I also married her because she had the piano playing ability, and that was important. And... Uh, I said you were beautiful first. I'd have never known you could play the piano unless you'd have looked hot to me and I wanted to be around you. Move on. Okay, I'll move on. Just hang with me. It's light right now, but just hang with me as we get somewhere. But I remember, I don't, I don't know where we were. She's beautiful. If you remember where we were, hollered out. But we were at some place in a smaller church. She was playing the piano. It's probably a, a real piano at that point. She was playing the piano. And I'm preaching. And from the back, about where Big Jim's sitting, this young man ran. I'm talking as fast as he could run. And again, my brain goes, well, this is going to be interesting. I, I, my, the church I'm from, one point, somebody came up to the front, and the pastor leaned down to ask him, how do you want me to pray? And that guy hit my pastor and knocked my pastor unconscious. So that kind of flashed through my mind when that young man was running. But about where, where Anthony is, that young man did a baseball slide. I'm no, no joke, not exaggerating, not trying to get laughs. I'm no, not joking. He slid into the altar. Tears running down his face. And before that altar call got done, he had received the gift of the Holy Ghost, but he took off running. We would call that 
conviction. They say Jonathan Edwards in the early part of America's history. He was almost blind. They, they, they tell me that he would write his sermon and then hold it in front of his eyes like this and preach in a monotone voice. But you may know his most famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I started listening to that last night. You can find a transcript of it. It's not him, obviously, but I've listened to it. And, and I'm telling you, he was hellfire and brimstone. But they said when he would start preaching, grown men would start shaking. They'd white-knuckle grip the back of those pews. And he could hardly get through the sermon. And they would fill up the aisles. There was not music going on back then. They, they weren't rocking it on the organ. He, he wasn't a, a polished preacher. But something about what he preached got people to come to an altar. We would call it conviction. This is what I, I want to talk to you about. There's an outpouring that's just waiting here at Lighthouse. It's waiting here in this community. An outpouring like I showed you on the screen where, where they just say, i got to get baptized right now. But God has, has directed me in my messages to, to build the foundation of salvation. Last week, we said, what does it mean? Grace. By grace, you are saved. If you were not here last week, Whatever I can do to encourage you, command you, make you, I don't care. Go watch that message. We are saved by grace. But today I want to break down three words. Conviction, repentance, and forgiveness. And hopefully we can do them justice as we did last week to the, 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 the cause of grace. When that young man walked up there at camp meeting, we'd say he was convicted. If I was preaching and, and you grabbed the seat in front of you and you don't even hardly know what to do, we would say you're convicted. When the sinner runs to the altar, we would say they're convicted. But what is conviction? Conviction is so much more than overwhelming emotions. Uh, it's more than just tears that are flowing. Conviction, and, and I, I want to... When you say, hey man, pastor, preach with conviction, what are we talking about? In order to do that, I want to take you to a story. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, and I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm going to uh, uh, lay out what, what, what happens. David had not gone to battle when he should have gone to battle. He kind of took it easy and... He was up on top. This is the preceding verse chapters. He was on top of his palace overlooking his kingdom. He sees a woman who thought she had privacy, but because his palace was so much higher, he, she didn't have it. Lust entered into David's heart. He commands in his kingly ability, commands her to come. A relationship happens child is conceived out of that, that adultery. David tries to hide it by having her husband come back, who happened to be one of David's best friends. But he, David had, had her husband come back and see if he'd want to, you know, spend some time with his wife. And that way, if, if, if you know, she expects and a baby comes, they can say, oh, well, it's his. But that man, Uriah, he, he wouldn't do it. He, he, he said, I, I can't can't enjoy life when my men are fighting battles and he was more had more integrity than David did and so David sent Uriah out to battle and put him where the fighting was the fiercest stuck him right in front of the best archers of that city and then told his men to retreat but don't tell Uriah and Uriah's fighting with everything he's got all by himself and he's transfixed by the arrows of the enemy and Uriah dies effectively murdered by David. David thinks everything's okay, I got it, we're good. Uriah's dead, 
I can now take his wife legally as my wife and everything's going to be good, everything's going to be fine and comes close to that son being born and 2 Samuel chapter 2 opens up. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan is a prophet. Nathan is David's pastor. And David listens as Nathan comes and says, Hey, I want to tell you a story. There were two men that lived in a city. One was rich and the other was poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds. He had everything. I mean, he had hundreds and hundreds of sheep and goats and everything you can imagine. But the poor man had nothing except one little baby lamb. That little lamb, he brought it up. It grew with him and his family It was not just livestock, it was like his pet. It lived with them in the house, it ate with them. It it used to eat its morsel and drink from his cup. It lay in his arms. That poor man loved that little lamb. One day a traveler came to the rich man and, and, you know, the custom of hospitality said, we go and we kill a lamb. And that rich man who had all of these lambs at his disposal was wroth to go get one of his own. And so he took by force the lamb, the, 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 that one lamb that the poor man had, and he fed that poor man's lamb to the traveler. Now David, he's hot-tempered. The preacher's preaching and the preacher's got his finger wagging and David's listening and David hears the sermon and here's David's response. Man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this sermon. Man, that preacher's preaching to him and David's temper starts boiling and David says, tell me who that man is and I'll put him to death. Nathan points his bony finger at David and he says, you are That man. When the preacher transfixed David with the word. When he said, David, I anointed you. God anointed you king. You have everything to your disposal. And you took Uriah's wife. And then there's a a, uh, consequence, a punishment that goes on. This son's not going to live. You're going to have chaos in your family. And David was convicted. Listen to me right now. Conviction is not an emotion. Conviction is the legal sense of the word. I was convicted. I am guilty. I have declared or or someone has formally declared you're guilty. David trembles under the word of God. And, And when he could have said, oh, that's not for me. When he could have tried to deflect the word of God and say, well, I hope so and so is listening. Instead, David stands there in trembling and he realizes I'm convicted. I'm the one. I'm the man. I'm guilty. Which is why David would finally, very close to that, begin to write down. And I'm convinced as he put pen to parchment, there were tears rolling down his face. When he would say, have mercy on me, O God. Chapter 51 of Psalms, according to your loving kindness, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my sin and cleanse me from mine iniquity. I know my transgressions. I acknowledge my sin. My sin is ever before me. I can't escape it. Against you and you only have I sinned. David, no, you sinned against Uriah. David, you sinned against Bathsheba. And there's truth to that. But at the end of the day, it was David standing in the crosshairs of a God that says the wages of sin is death. And David began to be convicted. And David began to cry. And David began to weep. He would say, help me. I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Conviction. I've read the book of Acts every month completely for over five years now. 
That's 60 times in the last five years that I have at least read the book of Acts all the way through. And when you read the book of Acts, you see in chapter 2 the outpouring of God's promised spirit and we celebrate with that when the day of Pentecost was fully come and, and all of the things that happened. And then we always skip over the middle part and we get to Acts chapter 2 verse 38 and we shout about uh, Acts 2.38. But don't miss the sermon of Peter. Here we are, 50 some odd days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not everybody knew Jesus had come out of the tomb. There was a lot of people that thought he was still in the tomb, he was still dead, and even if he wasn't in the tomb, it was because his disciples stole the body. And Peter gets up and preaches. And Peter doesn't preach about getting the Holy Ghost. And Peter doesn't preach about being baptized. And Peter doesn't preach about salvation. Peter looks them at, as he steps out of that upper room. Peter looks at that assembled multitude. And if you will allow me to paraphrase, Peter says, you killed Jesus. Okay, y'all don't believe me, so now turn to your Bibles. I was going to try to make it a little faster for you, but you ain't going to believe me. I'm going to take you to it. So turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Now, Andy, put it up on the screen. For those that didn't bring their Bible today, they can at least read it. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus, a man, or Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. And you yourselves know that this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed Jesus. Fifty days after his resurrection is not that long. Peter begins to preach. And I'm convinced people started hanging their head. There was some in that crowd. It's in Jerusalem. It's right where Jesus had died. I'm pretty sure there was some in that crowd that had lined the streets of, of the Via Dolorosa and spit on Jesus as he walked by. There were people in that crowd that had mocked Jesus as he carried the cross. There perhaps was people in that crowd that had been part of the false accusers that tried to come and give false accusations against Jesus that would have sealed his fate. When, when, and they were there and they're hanging their heads. They feel that conviction. I am the one. I'm guilty. But it's not just those first century people. For in all reality, I put him on the cross. In all reality, it's your sin and my sin that he died. It was for my transgressions. It was for your transgressions that he was nailed to the cross. And so every time we sing about the cross and every time I come into the presence of a merciful Savior, I am reminded I am guilty. I'm there in Acts chapter 2, he begins to preach. Conviction is flowing. The deeper into his sermon, the deeper into the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death and the burial and the resurrection, conviction falls. And they are uncomfortable because nobody likes to be told they're guilty. No one likes to be told it was you. And they're standing there in that crowd and their fists are clenched and they're holding on to the seat in front of them with all that they've got. And they're kind of moving back and forth and their hearts are burning and they feel judgment falling and they stand condemned in that sermon. You're the one that put him to death. You're the one that was there and finally there is someone who cannot handle it any longer and from the back of a crowd somebody cries out, Hey, what am I supposed to do with this conviction? Men and brethren, the Bible says, What shall we do? That conviction, that condemnation, they felt condemned and they cried out, what must I do to be saved? Help me, preacher. They were. The Bible says they were pricked in their hearts. Their hearts burned within them. 
If you would listen to your pastor today, don't wait until the fires of hell begin to burn you. Don't wait until the fires of hell begin to boil you. Let it act right now. While there is a conviction that burns within you on this day, this day that God has made, this day of salvation right now is the perfect time. When conviction hits, you need to be saying, what do I do about it? You need to come to every service, and I do the exact same thing myself. If you would have heard my prayer in there, you would have heard me praying, Lord, let your spirit convict me, because what we're saying is, Pastor, preach me to conviction. Peter preached the cross. Peter preached the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it convicted them. You killed Jesus. But if Peter would have had an organ, if Peter would have had a whole praise team behind him, he would have pointed his finger and said, you killed Jesus. And then that organ would have started to rumble and something would have happened. And Peter would have said, but however, he's no longer in the tomb. Yes, you killed him, but you can go there. The grave clothes are laid up right there. The grave couldn't hold him. Hope springs eternal. The tomb is empty. He is alive. He triumphs over sin, death, and the grave. There's hope for your conviction. There's hope for your guilt. By grace, you are saved. Saved. Because Peter brought them to a place where they had to acknowledge their sin. My sin is ever before you. They had to get to the place. In order to be saved, you have to say you're lost. In order to be saved, you have to recognize you need saving. And so when your heart is pricked by the word of God, your response is, what must I do to be saved? And Peter said, I got just the thing. When you are convicted, when the word of God grabs hold of you, when those tears start rolling down your face, when that white knuckle grip you got on the seat in front of you and you're shaking under the influence of God and you're wondering, what do I do? And finally, Finally, in your heart, you say, what must I do? Peter said, here's what you do. Repent. You, me, who were dead in sin and trespasses. You who recognize you're a dead man walking. Repentance is far more than an emotion. It's not just tears rolling down your face. For the Bible says that Esau, when he had sold his birthright for just a little bowl of soup, Esau wept bitterly but found no repentance. It's more than emotion. Repentance is to... First off, acknowledge I'm guilty. Acknowledge that you've sinned and come short of the glory of God. Acknowledge that you're not saved. It, it's to repent. It's to... So, so we sing a song. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. I will say, near the cross. But you know what that really means? To be near the cross is not just to go hang out by a piece of wood. To be near the cross is to face the very thing. The reason I have to look that cross and Jesus' sacrifice in the eye and say you died because I sinned. It's not enough just to sing at the cross. You've got to face him. And so repentance is facing him. It's looking at the cross. Look what I have done. But there I would like to tell you, here's the beautiful reality. You and I, we were convicted. You and I were guilty of my sin, of our sins. And you and I were condemned to death. Because the Bible says in Romans uh, chapter 6, I believe it says, For the wages of sin is I said it last week when we talked about grace. Yes, you and I are convicted. Yes, you and I are condemned. But I hear the words of Jesus. Neither do I condemn you. I hear God's word in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because 1 John 2 says, If we sin, when we sin, we have an advocate. 
You know what an advocate means? He's on our side. It means when you were guilty, when you were condemned, he's not ready to throw you out into the lake of fire, but he's standing right there saying, I'll go to bat for you. I'll go to bat for you. What do you need? I will plead your case. The blood of Jesus is there. And it says that we have an advocate and his blood speaks on our behalf. He is called the propitiation of our sins. That's a huge word we don't use at all. Has anybody used propitiation this year in your vocabulary? Uh Uh-uh. Here's what propitiation means. Propitiation, it's averting the wrath of God by offering a gift. It's not a bribe. That's not what that means. But watch this. John says, if you sin, when you sin, it's going to happen. You have an advocate. Jesus is on your side. But he also says he's your propitiation because Jesus gave himself. The blood Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary. That blood that he shed was the gift that satisfied the curse of the law. For if you have sinned, there was blood that had to be shed. There was a sacrifice that had to be given. And Jesus has given himself on the cross for you. So we head back to the book of Acts. What must you do? Repent. Acknowledge your sin. Confess your sins, the Bible says. And he's just to forgive you. I hear Peter, of all the people that could write this verse, Peter is one that that had the ability to back it up. For the Lord is patient towards you. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter, the one that cursed God. Peter, the one that denied God. Peter, the one that messed up time and time again, is saying God is so patient. God is so loving. God is so kind. He wants you to come to repentance. Psalms chapter 32 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. But I would tell you right now, you can't cover your own sin. I know a lot of people that will cover up their sin. I know a lot of people that will try to get to where no one can see their sin. But but Psalms 32, 1, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. It's not you covering them up, but it's Psalms 32, 5. And it sounds a little similar to Psalms 51. I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover up mine iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Conviction is missing in church services all across this world. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But common Christianity says all are saved. Flies in the face of what Jesus said. We need that conviction. We need that place that when the the preacher, like Nathan did to David, starts to hone in, we don't look around and say, hmm, glad that's for, uh, you know, them. You listening? Let the word of God transfix you. Let that conviction go. Conviction, I am the one. I am guilty. I'm dead in my sins and trespasses. But then, my mind early this morning flashed to Lazarus. Lazarus died, dead, and they threw him in a tomb. Four days, decomposition had already started. It's not just a cool saying that Mary Martha said, it's probably true, he doth stink. Jesus walks up to a dead man, one that had been dead for quite some time. 
Jesus stands at the door of that tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Now, I don't really know what happens when you die. I've got some things in the Bible I can look at. But if you'll let me just use my own imagination for a moment. It's probably not at all theologically correct, Brother Hera, but Lazarus dead in that tomb. Lazarus would have given anything to be alive again. His life was cut short too soon. It's not when you expect to die. He, but he's laying in that tomb, and the Savior comes and says, Lazarus, come forth. Today, I hear the voice of Jesus standing at the tomb of dead men and women who were dead in their sins and trespasses. And he says, come. Now he's the only one that can raise you up. He's the only one that can save you. But you've got to come out of your tomb of sin and shame. He's the one that's going to give you life. But you have to come when he calls. Lazarus could have laid there in the tomb and said, I don't know about this. I'm kind of comfortable where I'm at. I'm all right to be all bound in my dead sins. But it was when the master called that, that Lazarus. Now here, here's my, again, this is Brandon Buford's vision. They wrapped him up like a mummy. And he comes out. Because Lazarus said when the master calls me. I'll do anything to be alive. I know I'm not walking like I used to walk with my swagger. But if i got to come bound to an altar. If I've got to jump to an altar. Just get me into the presence of the one who has the ability to say Lazarus live again. That conviction begins to draw next response is to repent Acts 2 they were convicted they were pricked in their heart and they said what must we do next week I'm going to take you to the next step we'll talk about baptism but I'd be bereft if I left you hanging because he said be baptized in the name of Jesus why baptism because Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12 says we are buried with him. That's Jesus. We're buried with Jesus in baptism. It's John 1 and 7. 1 John 1 and 7. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Why do we baptize in the name of Jesus? Simply Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no other name. In no one else. For there is no other name given, among men, uh, given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Why are we baptized in Jesus' name? I'm going to do all this next week too. Why are we baptized in Jesus' name? It's really simple. You ready? Because he did all the work. Who died on the cross? Jesus. Whose blood was shed? Jesus. And so when he said baptize in the name of Jesus, that's why we do it because I'm connecting to the one whose grace was poured out on Calvary and I'm giving him credit. I'm talking about the gospel. And so when I'm convicted, I respond. I repent of my sins. Here's what happens. When you repent, he forgives. When you're baptized, he washes the record away. I've been forgiven of some things, but I've still got the record. But when you're baptized in Jesus' name, he washes you white as snow. So next week we'll talk about baptism. But see, here's the thing. You can't get to any of that unless you're willing to stand in his presence or kneel in his presence or fall in his presence and say, I'm convicted. I'm guilty. Pastor, you're talking about me. Preacher, you're preaching about me. Jesus, you're looking at me. Jesus, you're drawing me. Of all the people in this church, it ought to be, and it happens so many times. 200 people here today. Have you ever felt like the sermon was only for you? That's conviction. There was a lot of dead people probably where Lazarus was buried. But Lazarus was the only one who heard. 
God is standing here today. And he's reaching. By grace, we are standing. By grace, he stands in front of your tomb and he calls. He calls through the word of God. He calls through our worship songs and worship where, where you begin to lift him up and you feel that drawing, that tug. I'm convicted. I am the one. And so today, I want to invite you to stand. There's so many times that I said, and I get it. I said, we're going to come to an altar call. You can come to the front. You can stay right where you are. And I do that on purpose because I'm well aware these altars ain't anything special. In the old days, we used to have altar benches come. We took them out so we'd have more room. But today, I want to challenge you, don't stay in your seat. What that would mean is that in reality, all of us would find our way out of our seats. Now, I doubt we all going to fit 200 people here. But there's just something about getting out of your even if it's just one row forward. And if everybody does it, no one's looking at you. Because we're going to preach salvation. We don't start with, have you got the Holy Ghost yet? If we're going to preach salvation, we're not just interested in getting you wet. We're going to start with the grace of God. We're going to start with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to start with conviction. And then you're going to do what you need to do, and that is repent. Today, you need to repent. Today, you need to be willing to say, I am the one. And then it might lead you to saying, I'm ready to be baptized. It might lead you to throwing up your hands after you repent and letting the love of Jesus overwhelm you until he fills you with the Spirit. We'll get to that one here at some point soon as well. We're just setting the foundation. Would you close your eyes, Heavenly Father? I have prayed so many times for conviction to fall. And I've probably not prayed that in the right understanding. But I do now. I pray for conviction to begin to pour out on this crowd. Not just emotion. It's not about emotion. It's about an inward recognizing I am guilty. And I need his salvation. And Lord, the only response to that is what do I do? And I hear the words of Peter, repent. That's where we're going to start, Lord. And so I call this church to repentance. From the oldest saint to the youngest Christian, even to the sinner that's maybe never experienced his grace, I call you to repent. I call you to get out of your pew. Don't stay where you are. But would you let him draw you forward somehow? Would you come right now in the name of Jesus and would you let the grace of God begin to pour over you in the name of Jesus?